Welcome to Outspoken, a podcast for social change, where we talk about current events and how they relate to interpersonal violence and abuse. Outspoken is a project of the Hayes Caldwell Women's Center located in San Marcos, Texas. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse and is seeking support, services, or needs more information, links to resources can be found in our episode description. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the views of their organizations or affiliates. Content warning. This episode includes conversations about sexual assault and relationship abuse. Welcome back to Outspoken, a podcast for social change. I'm Kiara. I'm Megan. And I'm Nathan. And we're excited to have our new prevention educator joining us today. Yay! Uh, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you. Hi, my name is Hema, and I am the new prevention educator here at HCWC. A little bit about myself and how I got started with this type of work. I guess I'd say it started back when I was doing my undergrad. I had an internship at the Student Accessibility Services, and it was just recommended that I go there because at that time I hadn't picked an internship yet, and I had to graduate it. So then I went ahead and did that, but it turned out to be amazing and it was awesome. I had awesome mentors and I had great supervisors and they were the ones that broke me out of my shell and pushed me out. And now I really love advocating and educating the community. So that is how I got here. Well, we're happy you're here. Yeah, thanks. We're, we're really stoked to have you on our team and to have a full team again. It's exciting. Um, so... It's March in Texas, which is an amazing time to be outside and warming up. We had a really, really cold February. To say the least, historically <laughs> cold. <laughs> yeah. It was it was intense uh, for a minute and we were uh, but we made it. And uh, so now that it's getting warm outside, I just want to ask uh, ask y'all, what are you gonna do with your extra hour? during daylight savings time and with the uh, the nice weather. Hema, you want to start? Yeah, I guess I need to start going outside more. We were locked up for a while because of Snowvid, and it just felt like the world was falling apart. But I have hope for spring, and I hope it'll be great. So I think I'm going to be spending more time outside, not necessarily doing anything, just, you know, sitting there and being in the moment. Yeah. I'll answer. I... I love the sun. I'm not a cold weather person. And just going out, just the fact when the sun is shining, just going out and like feeling it on my face is <laughs> very enjoyable to me. But um, I know I've mentioned before, my family really likes going to the river. So that's definitely where my extra hour a day is probably going. And for me, I'm also looking forward to getting outside a little bit more. I'm not an outside person. Um, I don't go outside a lot, but I do enjoy the warmer weather and the sun and I like spring because of like the clear skies, but it's not so hot like it gets here in Texas. It gets like brutally aggressively hot later in the mm -hmm. summer. So I'm looking forward to that and going out and getting snow cones. I like doing that a lot. I Last year, I recently discovered Bahama Bucks, which I don't think is a regional thing. I think it's like a thing that you can find all over the United States, but they have snow cones and smoothies and all sorts of stuff. So I've just really enjoyed doing that. And then in the summer months, I didn't go or the winter months, excuse me, but I'm excited to start doing that again. 
Mm, cold treats on a hot day for sure yeah Yeah, i'm i love the springtime i'm into gardening so my garden is all planted up and happy and i'll be spending a lot of time hanging out in the garden seeing what i can get to grow and and yeah like you said megan spending a lot of time at the river because we have this really beautiful Mm -hmm. spring-fed river here in san marcos so all right um, so we'll jump in to uh, this episode because it's been a while since we had our last episode. It's been a busy time for us um, and there's been a lot going on in the headlines depending on wherever you're looking. But specifically for this uh, episode, we were looking at the headlines involving men and positions of power um, and relationship violence and sexual violence. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So today we just want to talk about like the common themes that we've been seeing in the headlines as they relate specifically to sexual violence. And there's some elements of relationship violence in there as well. Yeah. So when we were looking, uh, you know, in what was in the headlines this last couple of months, it was unfortunately a lot of stories involving um, sexual violence and relationship violence. So it really made us, you know, went to make an episode about consent and really explain what that is and just get more um, understanding around it. There is still some just, you know, from reading the comments on some of these news stories, unfortunately, it was apparent that there's still a lot of confusion around consent and what that looks like in relationships. And the fact that a lot of in these cases, as we'll see, a lot of the men being accused claim that they were consensual acts. So I want to just define consent. First of all, as that it's freely given non-coerced agreement for a specific sexual act. Coercion is a form of emotional manipulation to where you can, uh, you're basically in, in a way getting someone to do something or making someone feel like they have to do something. So it's a form of emotionally manipulating somebody. So in, the, in those circumstances, consent is not happening because the person is being manipulated. Consent is also, so there's several factors that need to be there. I wish I could just be like, here's the sentence and that's this is it. And that's why we're here, right? Because consent is not a sentence. It's not something that you can just define very simply as much as we like to say that we can. It's, there's still a lot of like confusion around it. Some have described it as not the absence of, of no, but an enthusiastic yes. That's a definition that a lot of uh, prevention educators like to use in their work. However, we also know that a lot of consent happens non-verbally, so that's not necessarily always the case that someone is going to be saying yes with the words. They might be saying it with their body, which again adds to the gray areas and confusion of consent, unfortunately. But a few points about consent uh, real quick is it needs to be involving people with equal power. So we'll talk a bit about power and how that comes into play in these relationships, but meaning, you know, if a person is you know, a, a legal adult and the and another one is underage or a minor. Consent is not possible in that situation because you cannot, there's not equal power when there's an adult and a child. Power could also be a matter of social status. It could be a matter of your system status, like you're an actual, like you're the boss at the company or whatever, if it's like a work-related thing. Right. It's also based on choice. So again, like it's non-coerced. It's based on free will. I gave myself a little note here that it's enthusiastic. So it's Uh, The way I describe it to students is if you've had to like beg somebody over and over again and then they said yes, that's not enthusiastic and that's not necessarily based on free will. Again, that could be a form of manipulating somebody into finally agreeing to do something. 
And then another piece of it is it's ongoing. And that's something that I think can also cause some of the gray lines, uh, especially if it's if an act, maybe if one act was agreed to and then another act happened non-consensually, that can be where disagreement is. So maybe I agreed that we would make out, but I didn't agree for your hand to go there, you know? So yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's not just a one-time conversation. Yes. And now I've agreed, now anything goes. It's something that like you're continually having to discuss and make agreements one way or another, whether it's verbally, non-verbally, or just, you have to, it's a way you have to make sure both people are on the same page. And it, it's just, a, it's really important in, in like, because it's so nuanced and because it's about sex, people don't, People are uncomfortable talking about it, especially young people. So it can get, that's, I think, where it gets difficult, but it's definitely an important conversation to have. It's not really something that, like, in our, I guess, societies, we see sex everywhere. Uh, we use it to sell things. We hear it in our music and we mm -hmm. see it in movies. And But it's, like you said, it's not a conversation we really want to have. And consent usually is not the conversation that we see happening. It may just be implied which feeds into that gray area of how do you learn consent when you are learning about sex from a number of different places and consent is not a part of that conversation. And that consent can be implied to a number of different scenarios that don't always have to do with sex as well. So we don't normalize consent other ways is like asking our friend if we can tag them in a picture on social media or mm -hmm. asking somebody if they're okay with getting a, a hug before we reach out to hug them. Just checking in letting know mm -hmm. finding out if we're crossing somebody's boundaries and it isn't always something that is normalized because it's seen as awkward mm -hmm. or you're being maybe too politically correct or something or people will use whatever language they want to use for like you're caring too much or you're overthinking this yeah and i i think that there's there's also consent is a lot about being on the same page as as the mm -hmm. other person and right when we are close with somebody we become more on the same page with them on a daily basis and so a lot of times when consent becomes an issue uh it's with someone who you don't know or you're you're totally like they're an acquaintance or there's someone who you're not intimately connected with already so that's when it is important to ask a stranger if they're down for a hug or ask, you know, you may not ask, you know, your partner if they're down for a hug when y'all hug every day. And that's like part of your, mm -hmm. your, your uh, relationship thing about hookup culture is it's by definition, you don't have a already rapport with this person. So mm -hmm. that's when it's really important to, to slow down, and make sure that everything that you're doing is exactly what what they want, essentially that you're on the same page. Yeah, which some people can feel is like an awkward conversation. Like with students, we talk about consent um, and they'll say things like, that's like consent's not sexy or like I would really, I wouldn't like it if somebody asked me if they could kiss me mm -hmm. first or if they asked if they could do something that I want them to just do it. Um, mm -hmm. A, because there's these societal expectations, uh, gendered expectations about who's supposed to be pursuing who and who's supposed to be being the person pursued. So I guess generally mm -hmm. in society, that's men during the pursuing and women being on the receiving end of that 
specifically looking at heterosexual interactions. But yeah, the, this whole idea of like, if I have to ask somebody, then I don't want that. Or I don't want it if they ask me because then it's going to kill the mood or the vibe when I feel like the it should be like, this person just wants to make sure I'm okay. They're just checking mm-hmm. in like, hey, are you good? And that should be something we should all want, right? Like, I feel like it, it never hurts to be like, hey, just making sure you're all right. You, you still want to do this. But it's not something that's normalized. It's seen as like awkward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and normalizing it is, I think, part of a a positive cultural or systemic change that we can actually make if we continue the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's the shift that we need to make is people to look at that as like, oh wow, this is someone who respects my body. This is someone who's like wanting to make sure I'm okay. Because on the flip side of that, we don't want if someone's assuming or making assumptions like they want me to kiss them and they're it's and they feel too awkward to make that's make sure that it's consensual and then they just do it because they made an assumption well then now you've possibly done something to somebody that's going to be classified as assault you know you now you have possibly kissed somebody who didn't want you to kiss them and maybe if you're that unsure you shouldn't do it you know, like you shouldn't be assuming that someone wants to kiss you. I feel like when you're in a relationship, there's certain body language that's going to come along with that to kind of know if you're going to get that yes or not. And if you haven't been receiving any of that nonverbal communication, like maybe don't lean in for a kiss. Right. And there's more rapport built there and like an under potentially an understanding of boundaries. This person's communicated mm-hmm. their boundaries to me. We have this established relationship so there's some trust that maybe they would communicate when their boundaries change or I would be Mm -hmm. able like you said Megan to identify visually this person doesn't seem okay with this because I have a I know what consent looks like with this person we've had consent other situations and now I'm recognizing that maybe something's not okay Uh, but with yeah and like with Nathan saying that if you don't have that with people that you don't have the established relationship or you're just starting to build that relationship then you may not be able to pick up on what that consent is but we also know that like these like the issue of consent and like power and all of the things that come with consent is historical and that's something that a conversation that we were having before we started recording is talking about like where did like these ideas come from? Uh, where do these expectations about like who's supposed to be getting consent? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and Megan was talking about how it's there's this historical precedent of like women being property, um, women mm-hmm. not having as much power um, and control in their own lives to have agency to make decisions for themselves, especially not when it comes to like sex or their bodies. Yeah. We're a society built on that, right? So, like, I guess my point was I was trying to make is, like, we are coming, we are still recovering from that. Like, we're still coming, we're still, like, every, and I, and there's progress, and when we get into the headlines, we'll see, like, because some of this stuff that happened a while back, but there's, there's constant progress, because when you look back, you're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this person got away with that, you know, in public for so long, but it's, like, when you see what our background is, it's, and how we were we came from the fact that like it, we had women had no agency and that it was the job for the man to just pursue and impregnate and then, you know, do whatever he wanted. Basically it, it kind of makes sense when you see like where we are now, as far as like still having some of those gender 
norms ingrained in us that men are the ones to pursue, women shouldn't be, men are to pursue and women are to kind of like be pursued (laughs) or not, you know, (laughs) for lack of a better word. And that we still, we're, we're still seeing that today and it's still very much ingrained in both men and women. I, cause like, you know, you were just saying like some of your students that are girls are saying like, I don't want to be asked. So we still kind of have that like lack of agency, I guess, or like that, that idea, not, I don't want to say lack of agency, but that idea that we play a role in our relationships yes, and that the yeah. role is, is that the guy takes control in charge of the sexual parts of that relationship at minimum, if not more than that. Right. Which is a expectation that hurts everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Like it, it hurts uh, men who have this expectation of you're just going to go after what you want. It also implies that uh, you want to have sex all the time. And then with mm-hmm. women, it also implies that like you can't make choices for yourself. And that if you do make choices for yourself, then that means something else about you. Because then maybe it's not okay for women to want to have sex or to want to talk about having sex. And then it also harms people where their relationship dynamic isn't a man and a woman having sex. If you aren't talking about the conversations around just men and women having sex, then what are you supposed to do when that's not what your relationship structure looks like? What does consent Mm -hmm. look like in this situation? Which is why it's so important to just normalize conversations about consent in general and in every area of life because you can if you can apply it to things like hugs or posting pictures on social media you also have a foundation to apply it to other types of relationships and relationship structures mm-hmm. and that's the thing about normalizing it too like part of why it feels awkward is because we haven't we haven't normalized everyday consent you know people still don't ask permission to shake your hand people still don't necessarily ask permission to tag tag you in a photo on social media and those are just like you know two examples so it it would make it makes sense if if we changed it to where we're like a consent culture right where we're all asking we're all constantly thinking of like each other's comfort and asking if people are okay instead of just making assumptions that they're okay with physical touch or whatever it is um, it wouldn't be awkward anymore. It would just be like our standard language. Right. And something that we had mentioned before was about like power and control and like different situations where you can't have consent, where the baseline for consent is that if somebody says yes, then that's good. Or we're told that like some people see consent as like an absence of a, a no. Well, if they didn't say no, um, mm-hmm. then it must mean that there's consent. But we know that there's different nuances to that. And Looking at that gray area, I feel like the whole purpose of the episode is to talk about some of these things that people may be familiar with because they've seen it in the news. Maybe it's come across like their social media um, or they looked it up on BuzzFeed or they just saw it on like a headline article. And when you don't have these conversations every day or you don't know much as much about like consent or relationship violence, uh, it can be kind of tricky to see the different pieces of like there isn't consent involved in a number of these situations. Mm -hmm. And this is what power and different levels of status or your age are not consenting. Consenting to one behavior is not consenting to something else. Like what does that look like in action? And that some of these things that we're going to talk about are very relevant examples that people are probably hearing right now on the news. Yeah, and I want to just note that the reason that we're hearing it on the news is not because it's all of a sudden happening all the time. Mm -hmm. It's that we are at a point where 
we we are comfortable talking about it and we actually want to talk about it we want to create the change we want to uh create uh empowerment and um build trust between people right and hold each other accountable the the whole idea is like if you know better then you do better or if you at least know better, then maybe somebody else can hold you accountable if you don't do better. Mm-hmm. So before we get into that, I will we'll take a break for our self-compassion tip, and then we will come back and start to talk about what are some of these things that we're seeing in the headlines. This episode's self-compassion tip is to build your own personal and emotional space by setting boundaries. Even though personal boundaries can be challenging to navigate, setting and communicating them is essential for our health. Healthy boundaries are necessary components for self-care. Without boundaries, we can feel depleted, taken advantage of, or maybe even taken for granted. Examples of boundaries can include saying thank you with no apology, regret, or shame, saying no to tasks you don't want to do or maybe don't have the time to do, protecting your time. It's important to remember not to overcommit, asking for space. We all need our own time. And most importantly, speaking up if you feel uncomfortable with how someone is treating you. Self-care is an ongoing process. It is important to adopt self-care habits that you enjoy on a regular basis. They will help you avoid burnout, increase your productivity, and allow you to enjoy life. Now back to the episode. Welcome back to the episode. We're going to start getting into some of the headlines we've seen over the last month or so. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, unfortunately, a lot of these headlines involve men in positions of power, and there's accusations of sexual violence and relationship violence happening and we it's there's several there were several stories we're gonna just slightly touch on them uh some in more detail than other but we kept seeing uh the same themes really emerge in each headline so we wanted to really focus on these themes uh, more so than the explicit nature or the details of uh, what the abuse was like. That if you want to, you know, if you're interested in hearing the testimony of any of the victims or list or hearing their stories, they are available online, or some of them are available online in forms of, you know, either testimony or like articles where people have interviewed them. But first, I want to start off with Marilyn Manson. He was a uh, industrial rock musician in the nine. He was most popular in the nineties. Uh, he was known for being a bit of a gothic character, kind of a dark character. Um, several women have come forward accusing Manson of abuse, and this was it included relationship violence and sexual violence in, in all the allegations. But uh, one in particular was Rachel Evan Woods. She was one of the first to name him as an abuser, and uh, what makes this uh, noteworthy is in 2019, Woods actually testified to the California Senate to pass what's called the Phoenix Act. And this act extends the statute of limitations for domestic violence survivors so that they can, you know, attempt to gain justice. If even, you know, in some cases after a certain amount of time, the ability to gain justice is not there. So this extends that statute of limitations for them. And like I said, you can read her testimony if you're interested in the story. I don't want to get into it here. It's just very explicit and it's not really what this episode is going to be about. Yeah. Something that I wanted to catch is her name is Evan Rachel Wood. So 
middle did name. Did I say it backwards? Yeah, a little bit Rachel. backwards. But <laughs> thank you. The names are there. It's still still the same person. But yeah, Evan Rachel Wood. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay. Oops. All right. So what's frustrating about this case and and what really made it hard, or and not even just her case, but it was kind of a theme among a couple of the women whose testimonies I read that he the people around him were very much aware that it was going on. Like he would, he, there were, you know, cases where he would like take, send pictures to his friends and bandmates of like, you know, of the abuse that he's, you know, done to these women. He brags about it in an interview in 2009 to Spin Magazine uh, about, he bragged about emotionally abusing Woods, something like along the lines of like smashing her, like making a comment he was going to like smash her head in, which, you know, uh, not like light. I mean, this was in a magazine and it was a pretty gruesome thing to say. I don't even feel comfortable repeating it. Somebody who is publicly like has documented evidence of it's not a question of has this person been abusive or not, like has admittedly said these things out of his own mouth. That is what's, yeah, and that's what's so frustrating is that he's going to say, no, this was consensual, but yet you can go back to interviews that he's bragging about it, and then you can, there's, you know, people who were around him at the time received the evidence, which we'll talk about, you know, I'm sure, like the lack of accountability or anyone, you know, saying it to him, but that all goes back to his power, right? Like he was a very influential person and and all these things. But um, I also wanted to add, like, he wrote a, a memoir or, like, an autobiography in 1998 mm-hmm. where he actually details uh, some of the abuse that he did towards his fans with, like, humiliation and pain, some pain, some painful abuse and then also even forcing them to, like, have sex with his band members. So it was – there's a lot of documentation that's happening and some of that documentation is coming out of his own mouth. And yet he got away with it. And I think there's a lot to be said about – when a person has a lot of power and how the people around them can be complicit, it kind of reminds me of like the R. Kelly case and yeah. the Michael Jackson case where Bill Cosby. it's sort of this, yeah, like a culture of complicity. <laughs> right. And in this situation, when we say power, I think some people like there's question about what that word can mean. And mm-hmm. I think you had said power and influence. Um, mm-hmm. I think influence being really key here that there's people or maybe are drawn to like certain personalities if they like the influence i'm sure that i mean to be as big in entertainment as he is there's some level of like charisma that's there as well um but also like with the personality that he's built for himself of sort of just being like this dark personality that maybe some people may not want to hold this person accountable because they don't want to be retaliated against or maybe they think that they're not going to be believed or people are just going to dismiss it and say like, well, what would you think somebody like that would do? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think pre, pre Me Too, we were a lot better at making excuses for people and saying, oh, oh mm-hmm. that's just you know, they're like that, or we were just a lot more victim blaming because we didn't really understand the magnitude. And it was still during a time where people were, you know, afraid to to speak out about their own experience, or with something like that, being like, well, mine wasn't exactly like that. It wasn't that dark or weird. Yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. I don't identify with that kind of victim. So it was, you know, it which just says a lot about how Me Too has, has changed the landscape around around that. 
Yeah, and it adds in this other layer, additional layer of conversation that has to do with like power and influence. Because I know that Mm -hmm. there's been some question where people have looked at other women that Marilyn Manson has been in a relationship with, and they have said that they did not experience abuse in the same way. They didn't experience sexual violence. And that can lead people to discredit the people that are coming Mm -hmm. forward. Because it's like, well, if this person is so bad um, and they abuse people, why would they do it to you, but they wouldn't do it to somebody else, which highlights some of that power and control Mm -hmm. and influence that's theirs that I want to say that Evan Rachel Wood was a teenager, like 18, 19. She she was. She was very young. And another one of his um, victims, and unfortunately, I can't remember the name, was an immigrant. So part of that problem or part of the situation in that he actually used like her needing a green card or a visa to like keep her isolated in an apartment. So like he very much there very much seems to be like a specific type of person that he was victimizing in these situ- or like that he was abusing in these situations, which we see in like other celebrity situations too, right? Like it's kind of, it kind of like when the, when the, and even not, I, I don't even want to say uh, celebrities, that's something abusers do, right? They don't abuse everyone that they come in contact with, which makes it harder to believe when someone does say that they have a problem and it's done intentionally. Right. That for some people, it's a crime of opportunity that if you see the opportunity to do it and that you can get away with it, then you will do it if it's something mm-hmm. that you want to do. And I mean, a lot of the people who are around him benefit from him being yeah. the character that he was, like either by either financially means, like either he was employing them, like they were in his band or some part of his staff, or it was a matter of like that persona he had, like he had a very outrageous, or it maybe still does, I don't know, but like a very outrageous persona of being like really creepy and doing really creepy things. So it's kind of like that excuse is like, well, that's just how he is. Which, again, can lead to even more victim blaming for the people who are experiencing this dating him because it's like, well, that's how he is and you dated him. And you get to that like, yes, I wanted to date him or like this or I wanted to be a part of like this scene of music or I wanted, you know, to be a musician or whatever it is or why they're with him or like, you know, why they're associated with him. But it's not I wanted to be abused, right? No one asks to be treated this way. It's it's the uh, the beauty of it. It's like this amazing celebrity who like you see that you admire, yeah, um, and they're doing something terrible, you know. Yeah, which just says a lot about the cultural changes that we've made. Um, you know, as of recently, I I remember in watching something about. Uh, Harvey Weinstein and his people that worked for him mm-hmm. um, back in the kind of heyday of his his company in New York and and they are in the documentary looking back and being like yeah I knew and I can't even like come to terms with that now and at mm-hmm. the time I just didn't it didn't like the magnitude just wasn't there it was it it felt like oh this was kind of a one-off thing or this was just how the business run it becomes normalized for everyone involved i think like it becomes normalized for everyone like this is just how he is Mm -hmm. this is what it's like it makes me think also in the headline recently we had uh governor cuomo you know he's come out or there's been uh, accusations with him as far as like his aides and people who work with him speaking of you know people who speaking of power and people who are um, experiencing this from their employer 
you know, and this, you know, it's sexual harassment, but it was, it's, it's been downplayed by him and by the people around him because it is having to admit that like you were complicit in something that, or you didn't notice it because of the power. I'm not, it's, you know, there's a lot to dissect there. Yeah. Or there's like this cultural thing of like, well, this is just how it is and you just have Mm -hmm. to push through it. Um, and don't go into working in like a male dominated world if you don't want to be sexually harassed or if you don't want to have somebody make comments about your body. Like this is just how they are. Like Marilyn Manson, like this is just how they are. Um, mm-hmm. Don't put yourself in that situation if you don't want to be somebody who might experience this firsthand instead of because it puts responsibility on the people who have been victimized instead of saying like hey I could have maybe have done something to stop this and I Mm -hmm. didn't for whatever reason maybe it's because I thought I wouldn't believe I might lose my job um, if Mm -hmm. this person has a lot of power and you're Marilyn Manson and you're the front like the big name on the tour or whatever the production is and you're one person who saw it and you speak out like it's easy to get rid of you because you're a fire starter and keep the train going so everybody's making money um Mm -hmm. but when more people come forward then it's should be and it has been from what we've seen um with the me too movement it's harder to ignore and it should be harder to ignore but it shouldn't take so many people saying like hey this happened to me for it to be hard to ignore and it's so hard to deny too right like and it kind of makes me think of the next headline we're about to talk about but when so many people are saying the same story or a similar story and they're saying this person you know that gives more credibility is you're giving more credibility to the people who are saying this happened to me and it's like you know so many people are saying the same thing happened right which the next headline is about um allegations against uh, the rapper T.I. and Tiny, who is his wife, who is also a singer who was popular in the 90s from the group Escape. And then T.I. Um, rose to prominence in like the early 2000s as a rapper. Um, and they also have a reality TV show about their family called T.I. and Tiny Family Hustle. And recently, several women have accused them of sexual abuse. I and mean, all of their accounts have been um very similar and a lot of them have had to do with them being drugged and then sexually assaulted which Mm -hmm. then brings in the element of consent of if you're drunk or high or drugged or under the influence consent can become a gray area and you can't consent in a lot of these situations that maybe you did consent before you were under the influence or you said yes to doing something maybe it's something you thought you wanted to do but it can be hard to say no when you're drunk or you're high or whatever but it can also be hard to say no when I mean then you can't say no if say you are incapacitated like you're passed Mm -hmm. out or maybe you're blacked out you're not going to remember it or you you know that you're going to give somebody drugs or alcohol because they're more likely to say yes which kind of like becomes normalized in our society where people Mm -hmm. drink or do Mm -hmm. drugs to take the edge off like I wouldn't do karaoke if I'm not drinking or I just need to do something so I can get like the liquid courage like that whole saying of like liquid courage but that also implies that like alcohol and drugs would could make people do stuff that they wouldn't do usually Mm -hmm. which is how it should also sort of like tie into this element of consent um there's not consent here if you've been drugged um even if you had a yes before yeah i don't know what 
more to say. Um, it's again frustrating because they came out and adamantly denied the allegations. They insisted they were consensual, but knowing that you cannot consent when someone's under the influence of drugs, like we know that you can't consent in these situations. So, and I and I also recognize, you know, people do do drugs and have sex, right? Like I'm not living in a alternate reality but but that's where this gray area comes in right like that's where this these conversations become so difficult and that's where being especially in their situation like being people who have that influential power or whatever and knowing that people are like wanting to be around them it's you have to kind of make that you have to make that extra step to ensure you have consent rather than assume it and because anytime you're assuming it, like, and someone's under the influence, there's no way of knowing because when someone's under the influence, it's like impossible for them to say. So if you take someone who's assuming they have consent and you have someone who's under the influence, then sexual assault is going to occur. Right. So I think that that's a matter of like jury education. I mean, I don't know. And, and, and the other thing is that's frustrating is a lot of the backlash has been people saying that these women just want money from TI and Tiny. But the women themselves have specifically been like, we're not even interested in money. It's just the fact that this has been ongoing since the mid 2000s with the most recent one in 2019. They're, they're just like, this is a behavior that needs to stop. Yes. Um, yeah. And there's like, I think there's added layers in there of the belief that like women can't sexually assault other people. Yes. And then there's also like this sort of like cultural expectation, maybe sort of like similar to Marilyn Manson of like, well, T.I. is a rapper and mm. with rappers, like their music and their music videos, the stereotype and things that we do see is that their lives are around women and getting as getting enough sex with as many women as possible. So what do you think is going to happen when you go and you spend time with this rapper? Because that's what mm-hmm. they do. Right. So you have this added layer of like, a, you put yourself in the situation, but also potentially like, well, I don't believe that this could have happened to you because there was a woman present. And why would a woman facilitate mm-hmm. sexual assault happening to another woman? Mm-hmm. And back to the like victim blaming thing, too, is like maybe they did want to, you know, do drugs with them. Maybe they did want to even have sex with them. But they didn't ask to be abused and assaulted. And that's if you, you know, read the accounts of these stories, that's how they felt afterwards. And and when you hear the description, that's what it sounds like happened, you know. So even if you wanted it up until that point, you still didn't ask to get raped. Yeah. So. Totally. And if it's if it's there's been so many people come out and say, I felt like this afterwards then obviously Mm -hmm. that was part of their tactic or that was kind of part of their, the way that they, you know, Mm -hmm. liked to take control of the situation and take control of the sexual experience by um, putting these women in this place where they were not fully aware and not fully there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that you could probably just be thinking uh, with the power and privilege that you have of like, well, we're just having a good time. Like there's drugs around, there's alcohol mm-hmm. around. And like, we're living the lifestyle um, mm-hmm. that comes with all of this. And you may um, not even think about how like your power and yeah. um, how you just being who you are with the money that you have and the notoriety that you have, or you're creating an environment that can facilitate um abuse Mm -hmm. and assault happening but 
Sometimes mm-hmm. people don't want to think about that or they don't want to hold themselves accountable because it, it doesn't fit the script of what we are told consent looks like. Yeah, I'm sure mm-hmm. in their own, I'm sure in their head, they thought these people were lucky to have that experience with them. Which kind of ties into some other headlines um, with like TikTok and like YouTubers. Um, Hema, do you want to say more about like what's going on with Hype House? Uh, we don't know that. I don't know that much about Hype House. I learned this <laughs> from you when you shared it. <laughs> yeah. So TikTok, there is several, I guess, influencers that go ahead and get together and they move to LA. They live in this big giant mansion and their sole purpose, you know, it's their job. So they go ahead and make content every day. Mm-hmm. They they interact with their followers and everything but they it's not the first time that this has happened that influencers go ahead and either try to solicit photos from underage girls or coerce them into sexual acts and this one is about um this headline specifically talks about tony lopez and he has approximately 22 million followers on tiktok so Mm -hmm. That just, like Megan said, um, in position of power, he has a lot of influence over teens, tweens. And mm-hmm. I can see how this behavior, first of all, this behavior shouldn't even be happening. Mm-hmm. They Most of the people in the Hype House are legal adults. And yes, you make content for maybe the youth who is like way younger with you, or maybe it's just a couple of years. But you as an adult should be the one who... Like the, you guys said, mm-hmm. um, take the extra step and be like, okay, I know that my followers, you know, they really appreciate it and they would love to spend time with me. So I guess you you shouldn't be abusing the power that you have and you should acknowledge the influence that you have over the youth that they look up to you. So and then another thing is that um, the youth cannot consent, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. We have, um, I know in the headline he said, well, I didn't know that... I think the girl involved was 15. I didn't know that she... I thought she told me she was 16. And I'm like, either way... Yeah, that's just one year. That's still <laughs> underage. Yeah. She's still minor. Like, what are you saying? So he does videos with his brother. And his brother had also been accused of something similar. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it was just like, oh, well, I'm sorry. I didn't know. You know, the second time it happens, it's probably a decision. And Mm -hmm. the fact that they're adults just makes it so much worse. But it also happens with um, YouTubers. They have, like, so much influence over the young generation, you could say. And I feel like they don't realize the harm they're doing. But, but like, it's their job to go ahead and check themselves and be like, okay, you know what, I'm in this position of power. Obviously, if I say something or if I try to do something, it's going to have an effect. And usually that effect is not good. But yeah, I don't know what you guys think about how all of these adult YouTubers just happen to be going after these underage youth. Right, because like by definition, like when I was younger, like I'm 31 and like reality tv stars were like the people like famous for doing nothing i guess just for being on tv and i feel like influencers are the same like they're famous for being on the internet and then by definition they influence people and they make money Mm -hmm. off of sponsorships 
to sell things to other people because they have influence. And then it's kind of hard to hear when they're shocked about the influence that they have on other people Mm -hmm. um, or the situations that they can create where maybe that can cause harm to other people and they're not always aware of that and that they have to know that their audience usually isn't their peers. It's usually somebody who's younger than them who um, it can be pretty normal and common for when you're younger to like idolize and look up to Mm -hmm. and have crushes on and be interested in somebody who's older than you. But it's not normal for it to be reversed for the person who's mm-hmm. older and should know better right. to not take advantage because then they, they know more. When you know better, you do better. That should be the idea. And I know that when you're 18 or 19 or 20 or however old you are when you live in the hype house, you're still young, but you still are older than most of your fan base and these people that you're soliciting pictures from, which is sort of something that I've heard and work with students where they've shared um, – that they have like guy friends who knowingly will date or have some sort of like relationship with students that are younger than them. So maybe they're upperclassmen, juniors, seniors, Mm -hmm. and then they're intentionally having relationships with freshmen because they know that they can get away with more or they're not going to get called out um, or they're more likely to say yes to something or they're easily taken advantage of, which then you know what you're doing for sure. Right. right? Sometimes it's intentional. Like, Sometimes it's I'm not aware of or I'm not being cognizant of the amount of influence I have or I'm not being careful with the influence I have of these young girls. And sometimes it's intentional. Like I am intentionally going after people younger than me because of the influence I can have over them. And I feel like it happens in both ways, like in both cases. Yeah. Also, um, when he he went ahead and made an apology note on Twitter. So he basically just typed up something on his notes on his iPhone and put it out. He was just kind of like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm new to this um, L.A. scene. So what does that say about what's going on between, like, all of these, like, influencers? Like, is this normal? And why are you, why would you want to be a part of that? Yes, right? Like, talking about that accountability that we Mm -hmm. were talking about earlier. Like, by you literally are living in a house with other people. You make your whole brand is built on making content with other people. And it would just it's hard for me to believe that they don't know what that it's going on unless they're doing the same thing, too, or they just don't want to say anything about it. Yeah, they basically just turn it into like a blind like, oh, I didn't see anything. And also when he made um, some comments, he referred to the girls as women. He was like, I did not solicit mm. photos from these women. For So I feel like for someone who's just like kind of glancing through the headline, you you would think that it's like a consensual adult. You know, someone Mm -hmm. who can consent. So I just also didn't like the fact that he just didn't refer to them as, you know, they're youth. They're not women. Mm -hmm. They're basically like 15, 16 years old. And it just made him look a little bit better because if you you assume like, okay, you know, it could be someone his age, 21 year old with a 22 year old. I guess that's okay. That's what some people would say. But yeah, I just the fact that you can just go ahead and use words to just kind of diminish what the acts that you do is also kind of yeah language is so important because we see even in the the media will report stories like that and say underage women which we know there's no such thing as an underage woman you're you're a girl (laughs) or a child (laughs) or a woman right that's it (laughs) you can't be an underage woman (laughs) 
But like Emma said, it puts the responsibility on. It does. Yeah, it sort of makes you think that that person had more agency to consent in that Mm -hmm. situation than they did, which then connects back to like that belief that, oh, well, consent just means yes. And I'm sure these, they did say yes, um, Mm -hmm. like may have willingly sent these pictures, but we, the conversations that we're having is that if a person has power and influence or a person, you can willingly want to send pictures to a person, but it's not okay for them to send it because they should be aware of the power differential that's there. Especially for an adult, right? Like you should, like you are the adult in the situation. You have a responsibility to protect the child, you know, like, and it's creepy to, even if it was just like a photo that was received, it's creepy to like, be like, oh, well, I'm just going to like enjoy it instead of like taking that responsibility of like, oh my goodness, this is a child. Like I shouldn't even be looking at this, like, or this is wrong. Like just have this like immediate like reaction of like, oh my gosh, like, I, you know, I have brothers and I've had a lot of like men in my life and like they're when they were in their 20s, their reaction to high school girls flirting them them was like, get away. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, get away from me. You're a little girl, you know. So it's there is a creepiness to being like, this is attractive to me or like, this is OK. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of like when I was younger and I see it now, now that I'm an adult, I have more perspective and I know a little bit more. But like how it was like cool to have like the college boyfriend um, or the college girlfriend. And I never thought of like, why is this college person in college like interested in being with a high schooler? Like that feels weird. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Which I guess connects to, I know that Hema, you had talked about um, YouTubers being a part of this too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that somebody else who also, is recently in the headlines that uh, issued his own apologies. Um, I think two videos, I think David Dobrik and the Vlog Squad. And there was a number of different allegations against him and just other members of the Vlog Squad of inviting somebody to come and participate in a video. Somebody who looked up to David and the Vlog Squad um, and him thinking that he was going to be uh, like making out with a girl on camera who's wearing a mask and instead it was a another member of the vlog squad who was a man doing like under the mask and it happened mm-hmm. to this person twice um, and then somebody else also came forward and said that th- a woman said that she was sexually assaulted by a member of the vlog squad while they were making a vlog during the day a vlog is like over the course of a day so it could have happened at any point but it ties back to that idea of like consent being at least in the first situation, like activity specific. He consented. And I guess something that I didn't mention was that this person ad- agreed to make this video and have like this sort of gag in the video of like, oh, well, I'm going to be making out with this person who's wearing a mask. And he thought that it was going to be this woman this whole time. And mm-hmm. he consented to do that with her, but he didn't consent to do it with this man. And the whole idea of it being like, oh, it's funny. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, it's kissing. Like, it's not worse than that. And the whole comedy of it is like, he's kissing a man. So there's like this added level of homophobia Mm -hmm. that's supposed to Mm -hmm. make it funny, which then helps like further perpetuate like sexual violence against men, which is so interesting because I feel like a lot of conversations about sexual violence against men is framed as like men perpetrating against other men. And the stereotype is that it happens in certain situations, like don't drop the soap in jail or whatever it is. 
where there's like the power differential of like you're going to go to prison and you're going to become somebody's wife or whatever. You're going to become a woman. You're going to have less power. Goes back to that those gendered stereotypes of like women not having power. Yeah, so there's a lot of added layers here around the consent and sexual violence and assault. It really does highlight that just because you consented to one thing doesn't mean that you're going to consent to everything. And it's not wrong to be like, hey, like I agree to make this video, but I didn't agree to do this in this video. Mm -hmm. And this is a big deal. It's not something that I'm okay with. And it's not something we should downplay because it's not bad enough or it's something that other people would laugh at we're all laughing you're the only one who's not laughing so this isn't a big deal yeah i think the main kind of takeaway from these um tiktokers youtubers people in power is that this it's not okay and when people who are have influence act this way as a society, we have to keep that. We have to hold them accountable because if they're not held ac- mm-hmm. accountable, if, you know, the like the rock stars of the 80s who were having sex with underage women, sorry, underage girls. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's there, right? It is ingrained. It's, right? it's, it's so yes, easy to say it because we when, hear it all the time. If, if we allow that to happen, mm-hmm. then we're, we're not making progress and we're not uh working towards seeing a a a world where sexual violence isn't isn't okay i always get it's always like when there is an allegation seeing what that backlash is for the survivor seeing what the backlash is for the person who was brave enough let's be frank to be the one to come out against these people in power and say wait a minute this was not okay and i'm gonna say something because you're gonna keep doing it if i don't say anything and what happened what the aftermath is like and how how society reacts to them and and also like what that support looks like for them because you know there's a lot of reasons people this has happened you know these are headlines right but this is happening behind closed doors it's happening in our community and people don't always come out and say this happened to them so I think the focus that we need to like look at is how can we make survivors feel safe coming out and like how can we support them in coming out and how can we change the narrative to blaming the survivor or looking at what they did wrong to holding the perpetrator accountable and looking at what they did and what they or what they didn't do right which then also like connects back to like what nathan was saying about creating environments where like these things don't happen Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can see it as like, well, these things just happen. Like it's not preventable. Um, But we create environments through our thoughts and our beliefs and our behaviors and things that we turn a blind eye to that make it to where these things happen. And the victim blaming is a part of that as well. We don't hold people accountable if we don't say, hey, it's not okay. And then the laws don't reflect that either of like, Mm -hmm. hey, we're also going to hold people accountable for doing committing a crime against somebody else that it's more likely for somebody to be held accountable for stealing money from another person or property Mm -hmm. than it is for them to commit a crime against somebody else's body. So, yeah, it's ties back to the idea of sometimes people think like well this has nothing to do with me because the low bar is like well i don't do this to other people um but the bar should be higher it should be like how what am i doing to actively prevent this from happening and what am i actively doing to sort of 
examine like the norms that we have that make Mm -hmm. it normal things like questioning um like hey is it all right for you to be talking to that person or like that joke isn't funny like rape jokes aren't funny I like the idea of looking internally too like what is your thought like when you hear the story when you hear about you know someone experiencing relationship violence who is with Marilyn Manson what where does your mind go like are you going to well, she was with Marilyn Manson, like, that's what she, like, what did she expect? Or is your mind going to, like, I can't believe this went on for so long? Like, so check yourself, too. Like, what what is your own internal dialogue about how you feel about consent and how it relates to survivors and, like, what your place is in society and how you're contributing or not contributing to a consent culture? Yeah. Because we talk a lot about rape culture. Let's create consent culture as well. Yes. If we can create rape culture, yeah. we can create consent culture. Yeah. Yes. Very, and at the very do, least. Absolutely. And a culture where, and I think that starts with a culture where we look at perpetrators as the problem, right? And and we support survivors and we believe them and listen to them and not, and, and create safe spaces for them to come out and I know we could do like a whole episode on that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Which I think we should. <laughs> Maybe yes. part two will be coming. Uh, and we can actually, I would like to talk about the aftermath and kind of what's happened to, what what was the reaction to some of these uh, women who have come out in these headlines. I'd like to talk about what we do with this information once we get it and what happens to survivors and maybe even a little bit about why they sometimes don't come out. And I think that's something that we could definitely have a part two on and talk about how we can just better support survivors and create that consent culture. I'm down. Yeah. Let's do it. Which I guess then brings us to our prevention and action yeah. tip. So our yeah. prevention and action tip for this episode is to learn about consent. Take some time. Do some Googling. There's some really good information out there on the interwebs about what consent <laughs> is and how you can practice it. And yeah, practice it like with your 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 loved mm-hmm. ones or your friends. Like you can make like you can make a game out of it or whatever. Just just practice like asking people mm-hmm. for for consent when it matters. Um, also, mm-hmm. when you see something that isn't okay have the confidence to say something yeah practice consent (laughs) we're challenging you we're challenging you to practice yes Yes. practice everyday consent everyday consent finally educate others tell them about this podcast uh just tell them about what you learned online and and let's let's stop the Mm -hmm. stop the cycle all right. Well, All right. Love that. thank you for joining us for this episode. Um, we will see you on our next episode, which we probably will be, as mentioned, Megan said, like we need that part mm-hmm. two to talk about that victim blaming and sort of other things that come with that. Um, so that'll probably be the next conversation that we have here on Outspoken. Um, and until then, speak up, speak, speak out, out and be outspoken. <laughs> <laughs>